Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.37 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is February the 23rd, 2023. This is episode 677 of Bitcoin. And we're going to say goodbye to a friend. We're going to, uh, what are we going to talk? We're going to talk about the beef initiative a little bit. We got our, our buddy, uh, Texas Slim is all the way down under. <clears throat> we're going to talk about some Polygon stuff because they apparently are having their, their own issues. <laughs> it's always good to see it when that happens. Uh, what else we got? Oh, we got some three AC liquidation stuff. We got some NFT crap and yes, we're going to we're going to talk about ordinals a little bit. <clears throat> it's okay if you don't want to, you know, hear about that. I I understand. But you know what what I I I really believe that even if you don't like something that's going on, you should at least be aware of what's going on so shit doesn't catch you, you know, catch you I don't know, by the gut strings when you ain't watching because that always kind of sucks let's just go ahead and, and start this one off with uh saying goodbye to a good buddy of ours blue wallet blue wallet seems to be going away or at least part of it it's kind of confusing maybe btc casey out of bitcoin magazine will uh be able to help us out here blue wallet a bitcoin wallet with apps in both the ios and Android stores has announced that it will end its custodial lightning wallet service by April the 30th, April the 30th guys, 2023. In a blog post, the company explained that quote, today we are announcing that the lightning node lndhub.io where blue wallet provides lightning wallets to its users is sunsetting. While you can still withdraw your sats, creating new or refilling existing Lightning wallets on LND Hub node will no longer be possible, end quote. The post proceeds to request that users remove their funds from their blue wallet custodial Lightning wallets as soon as humanly possible. It has also made it clear that regular blue wallet Bitcoin wallets will not be impacted by this change nor will self-custody Lightning wallets where users connect to their own LND hub. Quote, LND hub started as a weekend experiment on a new fringe technology barely used at the time called the Lightning Network. Man, that was a long time ago. <clears throat> Today, with the availability of more mainstream services offering scalable solutions, LND hub has fulfilled its purpose in its current form. End quote. Users will still be able to access LND Hub as a software and self-hosted solution, able to connect their own LND Hub from Blue Wallet or other software that supports the LND Hub API spec. The post concludes with an optimistic take saying that, quote, 
This may sound like bad news, but this essentially means Blue Wallet going forward will only support self-custody solutions. This is good for Bitcoin and Blue Wallet users. Okay, so this announcement was met with uh, a surprising amount of mixed, mixed reactions. And, you know, when we get, we're, we're so, God dang, shell-shocked from all the crap, all the rug pulls and all the stuff going on that it should probably not surprise us all that some of the reactions were extraordinarily negative. This is being called a rug pull. I don't believe that for a second. I, I just don't. That doesn't mean don't get your shit off a of blue wallet. Please do get your shit off a of blue wallet now and let's see where this goes. But it sounds to me that what they're doing is they're saying, you know what? We don't want to have anything to do with custodial shit. If you want to, you know, use our wallet for self-custody, we'll still have the wallet, but we're not going to have it to where we're holding any of your funds. Some people have been asking why. <clears throat> why wouldn't you want to? And some people are saying that, oh, well, it must be regulatory pressure. I don't think that's the reason. You know, Blue Wallet, when it started, was, it has, you know, was a really good wallet. It is unusable for me right now. Okay, I've been going back and forth with some people on, you know, Noster, trying to help me out, figure out why, for whatever reason, my non-custodial version of Blue Wallet, because it's connected to my node, is my node BTC is the software that I use to run a Bitcoin Core node, as well as a full Lightning Network node, right? And that full Lightning Network node allows me to open and close channels and have, you know, collaborative stuff going on with, with other people. And it also enables me through LND Hub, which is an application that I can load into uh, my node BTC. It interacts directly with the Lightning Network node that I'm running. And it allows me to connect Blue Wallet to my Lightning node. But even then, and, and I've done, I did that like two years when this shit first started. I was so excited about it and it worked like a charm and no longer is it working. And there's probably, you know, there's probably two or three things that have fucked up since the time that I first set this up to now, because I got about eight bucks worth of Satoshis about third right now. It's about 36,000 Satoshis that are in my non-custodial get my non-custodial wallet that is on my blue wallet that is in fact connected to my lightning network channels. And I have not been able to empty that thing out. Now, technically, technically, and very technically, I don't really necessarily have to. Why? Because it's non-custodial. It was originally connected to my lightning node. So all the Satoshis that it's representing to me, I actually still possess. So no matter what the hell happens with my non-custodial version of Blue Wallet, I don't have to really care because I still actually am always going to be in possession of those Satoshis. If I were to close all my channels, then that they would literally all flow back into me. Would it be a, you know, great, I wouldn't do it because of all the, the fees right now, but, and I don't want to close my lightning channels. But my point is, is that I'm still in possession of those Satoshis. I don't have to worry. The people who, so who does have to worry about this? Well, if you are not running your own lightning node and you are 
not connect, you haven't had your blue wallet connected to your lightning node, or if you, if you're not running a lightning node, then none of this matters, right? Because that's custodial and that's when you have to worry. You don't have to worry if you're using your own lightning node and you've collected, connected your blue wallet to it. You really, honestly, it's annoying that I can't send Satoshis around through my blue wallet, but it really doesn't matter because it's in my lightning channels and I can just do it from other, you know, through other means. If you do not have a lightning node, that means that you, and you, you're using blue wallet, you're not connected to your lightning node because you don't have one. And that instantly means that your lightning side of blue wallet is custodial. And if you don't get your shit off that, it's going to get wiped out. So please be aware, act accordingly. Do not panic. You have until April the 30th to get all this shit done. After that date, it's going to be interesting to see what develops with Blue Wallet. Because I really started using Wallet of Satoshi. I mean, honestly, I love Blue Wallet. I, I, I get it, but it, it, nine months ago, it became kind of non-functional for me. And I just, I mean, at the time, it was still 36,000 sats. You know, I've, I got a few million sats. I just, I'm not all that concerned. But there's maybe some of you out there that have a hell of a lot more than that. And they're on the custodial side. You have to take time out of your day and get those Satoshis into a fully non-custodial situation as fast as humanly possible. Please do so. Now, we got to go down under. Beef and Bitcoin is on the menu at this New South Wales farm as Texan podcaster Spirooks new food movement. I don't know how, I don't know what the hell that is. S-P-R-U-I-K-S. Spirooks? I, I don't even know how to pronounce it. God, freaking Australians and their damn sayings and shit. Thought Texans were bad. This is, in fact, out of abc.net.au it's being written by Jeremy Story Carter let's find out more about what Texas Slim is up to on an early morning in late January New South Wales farmer Jacob Walke grinned patiently while Today Show host Carl Stavinovic lost himself to laughter Mr. Walke's video about his staffless butchery in Albury had gone viral with more than a million views across TikTok and Twitter. The breakfast TV host was struggling to control himself over the regenerative farmer's claim that he had suffered zero shrinkage at his business, you know, product loss, theft, things like that, where customers served themselves. Several weeks later, several weeks later, Mr. Walkie's expression was far more serious as he watched an American pace across the stage at his farm shed delivering something of a farming sermon. The speaker, who refused to give any name other than Texas Slim, said he was here to save the lives of Australian children. Printed in all caps on one sleeve of his shirt was the word beef, and on the other one, Bitcoin. Seated in the crowd of more than 100 people was an unusual coalition of farmers, health-conscious locals, business owners, and Bitcoin enthusiasts. The day was advertised as a farm tour, followed by sessions on beef intelligence, Bitcoin, metabolic medicine, and sovereignty. Some had traveled to the farm from just down the road in Albury. Others from as far away as Adelaide, Brisbane, and Perth. 
it was, or if there was a common thread that tied them all together, it might loosely be defined as a general dissatisfaction for systems, be they farming or financial, and a desire for greater self-governance. At 32 years old, Mr. Walkie was responsible for bringing that room together. Quote, there's a community conversation about, you know, how much we actually are in control of our own lives. <laughs> I think that that conversation should start at food, end quote. A request for Texas Slim's full name is met with an almost instant decline. He insists via a deep Texan drawl that even his mother calls him that, and quote, if it's good enough for her, good enough for anyone else, end quote. The baseball cap wearing Texan is the founder of the Beef Initiative, a self-described U.S. trade group focused on decentralizing and making our food supply more localized and improving the quality of our food through pure animal protein and sound money. Okay, hold on. I'm going to pause right there because a self-described U.S. trade group, I've never heard Texas Slim actually describe the Beef Initiative as a trade group, right? It may function and start to function that way, but that was never really the point. And I've talked to Texas Slim on several, several occasions. That doesn't mean that that may not be the eventual outcome. And that would be good, especially if it's not governed by anybody in the government, right? Because they will just do what? Screw it all up. Exactly. <clears throat> but I just want to be clear that <laughs> at the very beginnings of the Beef Initiative, it was just this dude who decided that he wanted to do something. If it turns into a, a trade group, hey, great. But that, I, I don't think, and I've talked to Slim on several occasions. He was, the, he was the only Bitcoiner that I ever met with on many occasions face-to-face -face because we essentially lived in the same town. And we, you know, when I was living in Canyon, Texas, and that's where Slim is based out of. That's where he was born. That's where he was raised. So I got... I got to know Slim very, very well. Trade group was not in the vocabulary in our very early discussions. And those discussions started well before the Beef Initiative actually started itself. Now, continuing on, in one respect, the Beef Initiative is simply an online portal for U.S. customers to buy beef directly from farmers or ranchers. But the emphasis on trading in Bitcoin, which extends to running education sessions for farmers and the tenor of messaging both online through the Texas Slim podcast suggests something more. Bitcoin is often favored by those who not only believe in its future as a borderless digital currency, but in the idea that conventional monetary systems, otherwise known as fiat, are corrupt and destined to fail. Texas Slim's speech is peppered with terms like the industrial food complex, fake commodities, the war on beef, and the need to decentralize from all of it. An interview about regenerative farming practices, direct relationships between farmers and consumers, and the virtues of eating a protein-based diet often morphs into a withering retelling of the history of the United States agriculture and supermarkets. An anti-government, anti-medical, and anti-pharmaceutical industry sentiment runs throughout. The group's voice is growing. In the past month, the Beef Initiative was mentioned on the wildly popular Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Texas Slim said he was flown out by two coastal Victorian listeners of his own podcast who wanted him to bring his message to Australia. 
His appearance at Jacob Wolke's Farm Day in Albury was his first in Australia, but will be followed by a multi-state run of talks up and down the East Coast. He is joined on the trip by Liz Parrish, a North Carolinian Bitcoin enthusiast who tweets under the username Babes Who Bitcoin. She said she fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole when the pandemic started. Quote, when you bring Bitcoiners and farmers together, it's two groups of people who are searching for the truth, Miss Parrish said. Continuing on, she said, you want the truth of where you're getting your food and the truth of where you're getting your money. Just seek truth and grow a community. We're all building together and becoming sovereign individuals. We're not isolationists. We're not preppers. <laughs> the word sovereign is used at different points throughout the farm day. It's in the title of the final speaker's presentation, Sovereignty in the Here and Now, delivered by former actor-turned-Bitcoin evangelist Ezekiel Izzy McCoy. Quote, we do not need permission. Bitcoin reminds you that you are already sovereign, he beamed. Mr. Walkie, who only began farming four years ago as a way to feed his family, uses it in another context. Quote, food sovereignty is having the information and the ability to access what you want for your body. We do not have food sovereignty in Australia, he said. It carries echoes of the sort of language used in the so-called sovereign citizen movement. Uh-oh. At times, there's talk among attendees of the pandemic and Plan Andrews, a riff on the name of Victorian Premier Dan Andrews, who attracts blame in some communities for pandemic lockdowns and vaccination policies. Mr. Walkie, for his part, puts a high value on personal responsibility and self-sufficiency, but he distances himself from any sovereign citizen ideology. Instead, his emphasis is placed on the health of his soils, the welfare of his cows, pigs, and chooks, and feeding his family. The day at his farm started with around 100 guests talking or take, no, taking an in-depth tour of his paddocks, accompanied by a detailed explanation of what goes into caring for his livestock and pastors, quote, we're not isolationists and we're not preppers, he said. We want friends and community and family and people to go to church with, people who go on picnics with, and people to swap food with. Sounds actually rather pleasant, honestly. The Walkie Butchery represents a unique proposition in Albury and perhaps anywhere in Australia. To become a member, you have to take a tour of the farm. Mr. Walkie calls it church. From there on, gleaming fridge shelves of beef, pork, and chicken cuts are available at the shops 24-7, accessed by a personal pin code. It's fucking sweet. God, this is really cool as shit, man. Customers are trusted to scan and pay for their products on their phone beneath video and audio surveillance. When Mr. Walkie's self-guided tour of his business went viral, it attracted thousands of accolades alongside a handful of accusations that he was killing local jobs. <laughs> but there was also a stream of requests asking if he accepted Bitcoin. He said a few customers in Albury and more further afield paid for meat using Bitcoin. It represents a fraction of what he takes in, only a few thousand dollars, but Mr. Walkie said he was curious about the potential. Quote, the thing I like most about Bitcoin is the people that it attracts, he said. At the farm day, an array of hats, shirts, eggs, jam, and jars of lard were set up on a table available to be purchased via Bitcoin, cash, and F uh, EFTPOS, or uh, EFT points of sale were also accepted. One farmer in his 60s talked cheerily about the one time he was orange-pilled, an online term for the process of becoming a Bitcoin convert. 
A local businesswoman asked a panelist how her shop could accept the digital currency. Another woman in her 60s said she had lost all of her Bitcoin online via a dodgy exchange. <laughs> Shit. That means she actually did lose it, probably. If she had said boating accident, that would have been something different, right? Uh, the volatility of Bitcoin, it's worth almost half as much today as it was last year, did not seemingly present a concern. Nor did criticisms about the amount of energy used in Bitcoin mining, which a study last year found to be equivalent to the beef industry in its intensity of emissions. Oh, pausing just to say this shit is never going away. It's like you can almost tell instantly when somebody doesn't know fuck about shit about Bitcoin. And this, whoever's writing this, doesn't know anything about Bitcoin at all. They're just, just like, it's almost as if an AI might be writing some of the paragraphs here. It's just, it's insane when you immediately run across a sent sentence and go, yep, this person doesn't know anything about X. God dang, man. It was, sorry, continuing. <clears throat> One speaker, Melbourne high school teacher, John Tiernan, offered to give everyone in the farm shed $1 worth of Bitcoin if they opened a digital wallet. He was part of a group calling themselves the Australian Beef Initiative. They are working to introduce a similar model to that of Texas Slim's U.S. platform where customers can form relationships with Australian farmers and buy directly from them. Earlier in the afternoon, the event's Texan headliner had called the farm day a call-to-action moment. He stressed that those presents were part of a movement. Mr. Walkie uses similar language, quote, Something I've learned in business is your friends don't become your customers but your customers become your friends. That's been very true for us on our journey in the last four years of this food movement. All right, so that's the end, the end of the article. And, and, you know, despite stumbling across what was clearly some people that, you know, some, some things that clearly the person has no idea what the hell they're talking about, um, it's, it's not a bad article. It's a, it's a, I think, a fair representation of what's going on in Australia as our friend Texas Slim is down there, you know, bringing the word into the street. And I had something highlighted here that I was going to reread. Uh, where, where the hell was it? Oh, here it is. This one. I'm 100% fascinated with the following. The Walkie Butcher, sorry, the Walkie Butchery represents a unique proposition in Albury and perhaps anywhere in Australia. To become a member you have to take a tour of the farm and then you can go buy stuff and you buy it yourself and you're and and the whole the whole operation looks to me given what i've read here that it looks to be an on your honor system and the honor system by itself is pretty fascinating you got to admit i mean that's you're kind of taking your life in your hands. Now, I don't know anything about Mr. Walkie. I, and I don't know anything about where, you know, where in Australia he's at, how far out in the sticks he is. If he is out in the sticks, I don't know if he's on the urban rural fringe. I don't know. But it, see, it appears to me that Mr. Walkie knows something about the potential of his customers and that chances are real good. They're not going to rip his ass off. Plus, he's got video surveillance. So that kind of works in his favor. I don't like the whole surveillance issue, but in this particular application, of course you're going to put video surveillance in, right? And the fact that he's not hiring, you know, four people 
so that they can man the store seven days a week or however long he's open for whatever hours that he's open at, that doesn't affect me either. I, I mean, how is it that we've got to the point where you're, you're somehow or another um, not only expected to provide employment if you have the opportunity to provide employment, but that it's your some kind of moral imperative I am not morally imperative to give anybody anything if I don't want to do that. That's part of being sovereign, right? I'm not required by the God-given rights that I walk around with that I don't need a piece of paper to understand. I, I'm not required to give anybody a job if I don't want to give it, somebody a job. I produce this entire podcast by myself. And even if... It made thousands and thousands of dollars as it stands right now, which it doesn't, and it probably won't. I'm not required to hire a producer. I can produce this thing just fine by myself. And somebody who's like, oh, I can't believe you haven't given somebody a job. Fuck you. I will call you on the phone and tell you, you'll be the first bastard I ring up to tell that I need a producer. Nobody is required to give anybody employment ever. So that little crying bit in this, you know, in this particular piece kind of st stood out to me. But all of that aside, the honor system, not hiring anybody, that's not the most interesting thing about this. You can't buy from this guy unless you tour his farm. I'm fascinated beyond comprehension. I think that that's a wonderful idea. And I mean, I, I know there's somebody out there listening saying, well, you dumbass, you're just not gonna get as many customers as you could because nobody has the time to do that. We need to reset the way we think about that. And maybe what our reaction to that statement should be, fine, fuck them, I don't care. I've got, I'm selling enough. I have enough. I'm doing what I want. I'm doing it the way that I want it. And if they don't want to take a part of it, they don't have to because I'm not required to give them the experience that they expect because the experience that everybody expects right now is to not know anything about where their food's coming from, not know how it was fed, not know how it was raised, not know how it was treated, not know how it was executed, not know how it was butchered. We don't know anything about our food. Not not just where it comes from, but how it was handled. How was the animal treated? What did the animal eat? How long did it live? Did it live a happy life? How long did death take? It better only take a fucking second. You know, there's, there's, and I've said it myself before. An animal should have one bad day. That's wrong. It shouldn't have one bad day. It should have one bad second maybe a second and a half. If you do all this right, you've got the happiest animals ever that produce the phenomenal amount of nutrition because you not only care about the animal, but where the animal lives. And then you care so much about the entire experience of getting that animal in, raising it up, knowing what its purpose is, that you give shit one about how you end that animal's life. And no matter how fast you end that animal's life, if you have a human heart at all, you will always be sad that you've taken that life.
and every person you see in the shopping shopping market or supermarket or the HEB or the Albertsons or wherever the hell it is you're getting your dead chicken breast from, it doesn't even cross their mind. This gentleman, Mr. Walkie, has the right idea. You have to come out to the farm. You got to see this. If you're going to purchase your materials for your health from me, then you damn well better know what we're doing out here. I love that. I think that that's the best idea I've heard in 20 years. Now, we have, in fact, other fish to fry, but first, Boostagrams. We got J.C. Denton out of episode 676, says, Great pod as always. Happy block 777777. That's the palindrome, and of course, he's got a boost of 7777. Got Fat Toshi here, same episode, 2,222 sat, says, Set my reputation on fire again. Fatoshi with another tw- row of ducks, 2222, says, I have one boost. <laughs> uh, we still on seven. Yeah, we still are at 670, episode 676, Nick underscore dose with uh, 3,333. Satoshi says, I may suffer from a Bitcoin stacking addiction. Good. That's a good kind of addiction to have, bro. Nick dose with another one, 369 sats says, uh, cheers. Oh, and by the way, that was not from 676. That was from episode 675. So boostograms are now done. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. And thank you, sir, for your service. United States legislators have introduced a bill that would prohibit the creation of an American CBDC. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine, tell us what these people are doing. U.S. Congressman Tom Emmer has introduced a bill that would prohibit the Federal Reserve from issuing a CBDC directly to anyone. The bill, titled the CBDC Anti-Surveillance State Act, shit, it's probably not going to pass just because of the goddamn title. How dare you be sovereign? Anyway, the act details that except as specifically authorized under this act, A Federal Reserve Bank may not offer products or services directly to an individual or maintain an account on behalf of an individual or issue a central bank digital currency directly to an individual, end quote. It goes on to further detail specifically that, quote, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System and the Federal Open Market Committee may not use any central bank digital currency to implement monetary policy, period. Representative Emmer explained in his tweet announcing the bill that, quote, any digital version of the dollar must uphold our American values of privacy, individual sovereignty, oh my God, I'm getting scared already, and free market competitiveness. Anything less opens the door to the development of a dangerous surveillance tool. He's not wrong. The bill aims to stem the creation of a CBDC due to the various issues many see as potential results of the creation of said American CBDC. As detailed in various Bitcoin magazine pieces like the dangerous implications of central bank digital currencies, central bank digital currencies, a technocratic fallacy, and the United States central bank digital currency narrative is a fantasy, the idea of a CBDC not only has moral and ideological opposition to it, but technical limitations present challenges that could make such a thing not possible in the first place. I would go so, so far to say that if they do implement it, and they can, that the uh, technological uh, 
problems that it's going to have will cause an absolute disaster. Continuing on, several representatives involved in this bill have also voiced their support. Representative Barry Loudermilk from Georgia released a statement saying that he was proud to join forces with Representative Emmer on legislation to keep the Federal Reserve from issuing a central bank digital currency. The Fed should be focused on its core mission of stable prices and maximum employment, not tracking our transactions indefinitely. In addition, Representative Andy Biggs, Arizona, reiterated this point, explaining that, quote, unelected bureaucrats are driving us to an authoritarian state that cannot happen, end quote. So there we go. We got a group of people that are introducing this bill that's going to make it illegal for the Federal Reserve to introduce the CBDC. My estimation is, and I I don't want to say the following, but I have to because I'm being truthful, it's not going to pass. It's not going to pass for the same reason that anything good for the American people or the general world citizenry at large never passes through any of the federal governments because they're all bought and paid for. They're all captured. They're all corrupt. I mean, you got every once in a while, you'll get somebody like Rep. Emmer in who hopefully represents the least corrupt possible format of a congressman. But generally speaking, I don't trust any of these sons of bitches. They, I mean, it's, how many laws do you have to write? And has there ever been an audit? Think about this. Has there ever been a real audit, a legal audit of the existing laws that are on the books in the United States Code, we call it USC, that determines exactly where everything, you know, like one law completely contradicts another law, Have we ever had a legal audit? Has any country, for that matter, had an audit of their legal structure that identifies every possible place where two laws collide and directly contradict each other? It's a mess out there. And all these guys do is they write more laws. I really want somebody to go in and, you know, I don't know, run for office and say they intend, their intention is 100% to write no new laws, but instead to get rid of as many existing laws as they possibly can. I'd vote for that son of a bitch immediately. And that son of a bitch would probably lose. Why? Nobody's going to give them money. And you just buy your elections nowadays. It's sad, but that's why we have to take matters into our own hands. And just... This is why I buy Bitcoin. This is why I hold Bitcoin. This is why I use Bitcoin. I'm getting to the point, and all of us need to quickly get to the same point. Not telling you what to do, but my advice is detach yourself from everything that you depend on that is provided by any government anywhere in the world. Do as much as you possibly can to have your own water source, your own electricity. I, I, I know that what I'm saying is not exactly easy. In fact, it's a lifelong skill set, and I'm not good at it. You know what I've got right now? I've got a big Berkey water filter. Takes care of my water needs. Except for what? I'm still filling it up out of the tap. <laughs> I understand that what I've just suggested is is not for everybody. and And many people won't do it. I get it. Those who do, those who do get it and and execute on it, 
to as much as, you know, to as much of the ability as they can execute, I think going to be in a better place. But this shit, anybody who's thinking that this bill is going to pass, come on, man, you're fooling yourself. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, let's be honest and let's not expect anything out of this bill. <clears throat> you know, call their offices, offer their support, call other representatives offices and tell them that you want them to support that bill. Do all that, but don't expect anything to come out of it. <clears throat> and meanwhile, always remember, don't drop the soap. Why? Turner Wright has it. Coin Telegraph unsealed superseding indictment against Sam Bankman Fried includes 12, count them, 12 criminal charges. Ooh, my. The federal judge presiding over the case for former FTX CEO SBF has ordered a superseding indictment unsealed containing 12 criminal counts. In the indictment filed with the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York on February the 22nd, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams alleges Bankman Fried's actions in the matter involving FTX and Alameda warranted 12, count them, 12 charges. According to the indictment, these included eight conspiracy charges related to fraud, as well as four charges for wire fraud and securities. The original indictment against Bankman Fried announced on December the 13th included eight similar charges, while the superseding indictment mentions an additional charge for conspiracy to commit bank fraud and breaks down individual wire fraud charges related to his alleged actions at FTX and Alameda. At the time, prosecutors also listed conspiracy to commit commodities fraud in its charges, which was seemingly included in the superseding indictment related to the purchase and sales of derivatives at FTX. According to the indictment, Bankman Fry committed fraud in opening a bank account for att and attempting to use user deposits. Quote, Bankman Fried et al. falsely represented to a financial institution that the account would be used for trading and market making, even though he knew that the account would be used to receive and transmit customer funds in the operation of a cryptocurrency exchange and thereafter in connection with using the account for the receipt and transmission of customer funds, omitted material facts in a manner that made what was communicated misleading. He lied. I can't, he lied. I'm shocked that he lied in regard to the allegations involving unlawful political contributions. The filing said SBF and others used, quote, straw donors or corporate funds to make more than 300 contributions totaling tens of millions of dollars. Using straw donors, the U.S. attorney alleged allowed Bankman Fried to evade contribution limits on individual donations as enforced by the Federal Election Commission, which is usually 100 bucks. Quote, while employees at Alameda generally tracked loans to executives, the transfers to Bankman Fried and two other FTX executives in the months before the 2022 midterm elections were not recorded on internal Alameda tracking spreadsheets, said the filing. Instead, an internal Alameda spreadsheet noted over $100 million in political contributions, even though FEC records, the Federal Elections Committee, records reflect no political contributions by Alameda for the 2022 midterm elections to candidates or their PACs, political action committees. The former FTX CEO has largely been confined to his parents' I don't know why I'm laughing because I know he's at his mom and dad's house, but it's just so, 
it's just so funny when I read it over again. The former FTX CEO has largely been confined to mommy and daddy's California home since a December bail hearing in which his mommy and daddy agreed to put up the equity for their house as part of Bankman-Fried's $250 million bond. Two employees of Stanford University, uh, Andreas Pepke and former law school Dean Larry Kramer, also signed on as sureties for Bankman-Fried's bail for $200,000 and $500,000 respectively. Bankman-Fried's criminal trial in federal court is scheduled to begin in October while FTX's bankruptcy case is ongoing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the end of it. So now there's two other people on the hook, which I didn't know about before. I know his daddy and mommy put up their house, um, but I did not know that some unrelated people to the family are also in bed trying to keep this poor little son of a bitch out of jail and, and keep him at his mommy and daddy's house. And what has been, what has SBF been doing through this entire time. He's been in direct violation of his bail requirements by digitally communicating with people that are involved in the case, whether they're ex-coworkers, whether they were other people that he had done business with, like uh, you know, cat, you know, dogs and cats that he knew out at 3AC or something like that. He's not supposed to have any communications with any of these people whatsoever, and he's been caught multiple times doing so. So this uh, law school professor that put up uh, $500,000 could lose $500,000. I mean, and the guy that put up 200 grand could lose his 200 grand because if he violates his bail, that's, that is a major, major problem. And he's been violating his bail. I think a judge is supposed to rule as to whether or not they're just gonna say, you know what, we're done. You're gonna cool your heels in the, I don't know, where, where, wherever it is, LA County Jail, I, which he probably won't survive. But dude, the meat of this one is that there's 12 more charges. He already had eight. What are we, we're, we're, we're at 20. Plus, uh, I think plus one, 20 or 21. And this conspiracy to open a bank account is, is brand new. All, it looks to me that all the other, these new 12 charges are basically kind of copycat of the eight charges that he was officially, the, the, the first ones that we you know found out about. But apparently there was already this thing waiting in the wings. And if it supersedes this, these eight charges, then that means he's got to go to trial for these 12 charges. And then the eight charges, at least that's my understanding. And that could be completely wrong. If any lawyers are out there, give me your fresh lawyer money via Boostergram and you can tell me just how wrong I am. And everybody was wrong about Polygon. That's right. Polygon crashes again, befuddles users. The actual headline is this. Polygon Block Explorer crashes befuddles users. But yeah, that's because Polygon basically went bye-bye for a while. Sandra Luz, no, is that Lutz or Lulz? Uh, Lutz, <laughs> Lulz would be good. Decrypt.co, uncertainty, doubt, no small amount of fear spread across the crypto community on Wednesday, unless you own Bitcoin, in which case you don't give a fuck about this. As news spread of an apparent hours-long outage on the Polygon network, 
The reports are greatly exaggerated, however. Polygon has not experienced any outages in processing blocks. Decrypt confirmed with multiple validators on the network. A few nodes on network did on the network did though go out of sync, according to a Polygon spokesperson. A far less severe issue. Who knows what the hell's going on with this thing? I just bring you that because it's always good news when a shitcoin chain has any kind of problems whatsoever. It's not Schadenfreude. It's to illustrate the fact to anybody else that's not a Bitcoiner that for whatever reason listens to this podcast, like, I don't know, like let's say Elizabeth Warren is, is listening. My message to Elizabeth Warren and all the rest of these people is that you can go burn this entire cryptocurrency thing down to the ground for all Bitcoiners care. I'm fine with that. You want to do that? You go right the hell ahead. Because Bitcoin has nothing to do with this. And when they group Bitcoin in with shitty blockchains and crappy morals and unscrupulous ethics, I get pissed. Because Bitcoin has nothing to do with that. They always think that all Bitcoiners are just the same as Sam Bankman fried. No, we are not. I have never met a more moral and ethical bunch of people in my entire life, as well as brilliant and imaginative and just generally lovely people. People that I just, I want to be around you guys more. One of these days, I will be. But right now, I gotta be remain a little bit local. But you know what? We've got numbers to run. CNBC futures and commodities. And I got this dude chattering on the little TV inset on the webpage talking about the natural gas prices plunge. They're all a tizzy and yet natural gas is actually up today by 6%. <laughs> oh, everybody. Shit coiners are just as bad as mainstream media in just how they get shit wrong. West Texas Intermediate up 1.74% to $75.24. Brent North Sea up 1.8% to $82.05. The aforementioned natural gas up 6%. Our uh, gasoline is up almost 2% to $2.38 a gallon. All your shiny metal rocks have a little bit of tarnish on them today. Gold down half a point, $1,800. And $31.20. Silver is down 1.65%. Platinum is down 0.57. Copper down 3.2. Palladium bringing us all the way to the bottom 3.42% to the downside. Ag is kind of mixed. We got the biggest loser today being corn 2.19% to the downside. Biggest winner today is sugar 1.64 to the up. Dow is down 0.13%, but that's the only one. S&P is up 0.16. Uh, NASDAQ is up a half a point, and the S&P mini is up, well, actually it's sideways, but you know, up slightly, 0.06%. Fuck it all. Real money is at $23,857.51. And that's after 500,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 1.69 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.017 BTC or just over $400.
Block times are, yay, hideously low again. Eight minutes and 37 seconds. We've had 0.114 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And uh, just over 19 BTC taken in fees in the last 24 hour period. With a 3% drop in hash rate, we're just below 300 at 297.64 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, as usual. 8.4 United States pennies. Uh, we have a market cap of $463.4 billion. That is 3.83% of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may go out and get 13.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks for with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,299,789.23 of and 5,369 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $128.9 million, being run over 16,194 nodes that we can see, sporting 60, nope, 76,269 public payment channels or channels that we can see. And 67.8% of all that's being run over Tor. We have 13 blocks to clear out 7,401 transactions, Minimum fee rate appears to be one Satoshi per V-byte. And February 24th is the estimated difficulty change up 11.4% as of now. There's your weather report. We're all in to part two of the news that you can use. What do we got here? Bitcoin Magazine, Emo Babix. Emo, maybe Imo, I-M-O. I'm gonna say Imo Babix is writing this one. Europeans suck at managing their finances, but Bitcoin fixes this. Europeans are not taking advantage of their purchasing power and it's hurting their pockets. It is estimated that the financial wealth of Europeans would be 1.2 billion, no, 1.2 trillion euros higher if savers had invested their money instead of keeping it in the bank. Yeah, you read that right. Keeping money in the bank, keeping cash in bank accounts for emergencies is still the most common way Europeans save their money, despite high inflation. And only 17% of Europeans reported that they owned Bitcoin in 2021. Data suggests that the number is similar when it comes to investing in stocks with only 15% of Germans doing so. Those are rookie numbers compared to the 55% of Americans that do. The struggle is real though. Ooh, I'm getting a call from Grand Prairie, Texas. I think I'm gonna wait on that one. <laughs> a lack of financial literacy and self-doubt about their investment abilities are apparent hurdles, but there are several other reasons why Europeans aren't being smarter with their money. Lack of trust in the financial system is one. European millennials came of age during the Great Recession of 2008. Many of them have experienced firsthand their parents losing employment, their homes, or their life savings. They have seen big banks as the architects of this disaster, and they're going unpunished. This led to a general lack of trust in Wall Street banks and the financial system as a whole among millennials. Many believe that traditional financial institutions are not to be trusted, rightly so, and that the system itself is rigged. It is. So debt is another one. Owning a home is a symbol of stability and security. With soaring real estate prices in Europe, owning a home often comes with a 30-year mortgage. 
Add to this that a car lease, credit cards, and depending on the country, student loans, and all of this debt can make a difference for young people to save and invest as they focus on paying off their debts first. Job security slash insecurity. Millennials have only ever known a challenging job market. Most of them entered the workforce after the 2008 financial crisis, being faced with a lack of opportunities and stagnating salaries. Just as things started to turn for the better, their careers were dealt yet another blow with COVID-19 pandemic. Actually, they say pandemic. Let's, let's be clear. The war in Ukraine, as well as sky-high inflation. All of these things caused widespread job losses and a global economic downturn, making it difficult for them to plan for the long term. There's also a lack of financial literacy. Many Europeans lack the basic financial knowledge and skills that are needed to manage their finances more intelligibly. I will not get into the debate about whether the lack of financial education in the European public school system is a bug or a feature, but we are not being taught about money. Yeah, you ain't the only one, dude. Our parents were not taught about money, and this ignorance is being passed on from one generation to the next. Ooh, pausing to say, who does that sound like? Sounds like me. Only a quarter of millennials in a PwC study demonstrated adequate financial knowledge. They feel intimidated by the investment process, leading to a paralyzing fear of making a mistake and losing their money. They also suffer from short-term thinking, high time preference or valuing the present more than the future and sacrificing long-term benefits for short-term gains is not new. To quote Fight Club, a cult classic film from the late 90s, quote, advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need and the things you own end up owning you, end quote. In the world of uncertainty that we currently live in, short-term thinking is more convenient as the benefit of investing does not exist in the present. <laughs> Many Bitcoiners, myself included, will tell you that discovering Bitcoin and going down that rabbit hole has had a significant impact upon our lives and the way that we think about money and saving. One of Bitcoin's strengths, in my opinion, is that it promotes a low time preference and encourages you to give up instant gratification and look to the future instead. Having a low time preference results in saving. It results in thinking before doing and considering the consequences of your choices. This mindset is essential for long-term financial stability and growth, and Bitcoin fosters this behavior by its very nature. First and foremost, Bitcoin's limited supply of 21 million coins means that scarcity is a built-in feature. This scarcity protects value across time, and it creates a strong incentive for you to hold onto your coin rather than spend it. This mindset can be applied to every aspect of your finances, transform your life, and help you break free of the hamster wheel by saying no to a 30-year-long mortgage, cutting your credit cards in half, or stopping saving your money in a bank account. Price volatility is a big problem for Bitcoin curious newbies. Quote, how can Bitcoin be a safe option for my money if the price crashes every time? Fair question. But price volatility is another way that Bitcoin changes your time preference. Yes, the short-term negative price movements can be significant, but it has shown strong growth over the long term. This has encouraged many to view Bitcoin as a long-term investment rather than a short-term speculative asset. I've established above that Europeans don't trust the financial system anymore. Bitcoiners will tell you that Bitcoin fixes this too. It's decentralized and it operates independently of traditional banking systems, putting the custody of your money back into your own hands. 
Bitcoin will change the world, but before it does, it will change how everyone thinks about money, helping everyone build long-term financial stability, freedom, and security. IMO, Babix, I really enjoyed this article. Thank you very much. It's, it's, it's fairly clear, but one thing I want to make sure that, that uh, IMO understands is that it ain't just Europeans, dude. If you think you got a lockup on that entire thing of us not trusting shit, dude, anywhere, anywhere in the world, it's all falling apart. For the very same reasons he was saying, we weren't taught about money in economics in high school, even in the 80s. We, were, we, we had, econ we, uh, I took an economics class. It bored the shit out of me. That's probably a feature, not a bug. I was so bored in economics, I didn't, I did not care. Did not care, didn't listen to a single thing. I don't even know, I can't even remember who my teacher was, it was that bad. And I remember most of my teachers. I think she had red hair and that she might've been kind of cute. Other than that, I have zero idea who the hell taught economics. Sure, don't remember her name. In either event, we weren't taught about money, we weren't taught about interest rates, and if we were, and it was in those economics class, it was made so boring that you didn't hear it. So either way, we weren't taught about money ever and neither, and I'm in full agreement with this, were our parents. Our parents were not taught about money in school. They probably had a slightly better education in money than we did, but on the whole, nobody understands this shit. Because it's like when you say when you say something in front of like, if I were to make any economic statement in front of a, like a table full of five economists, PhD economists, I'd be laughed out of the room even if I was right. Because they're the authority. They're the ones wearing the white lab coats. They're the doctor in the room. You're just a fucking pleb. You don't know anything. You don't have a PhD in economics. And by the way, a PhD in any discipline means that you are laser focused on a single pinpoint. You don't understand the whole picture. Do you have any idea how many PhD biologists that I know that literally don't, and they're biologists, and they literally don't know the, how most of the nucleus works because that's not what they're studying. They're studying a single protein studded on the outer cell wall or well, not wall, but the cell membrane. And that's it. They know everything about that. They know, they know it's charged. They know exactly what it's amino acid sequence is. They know where it's functional pocket is. They know everything about how it tears, it takes in a molecule and converts it into something else. They know all that shit. Now you ask them how a microtubule assembles itself and they actually will have to go look it up in a book. So, so much for your PhD in X. And believe me, I know. My wife is a PhD, right? Even she will tell you the exact same shit. Just because these guys have a PhD in economics does not mean that they understand the whole picture. But they will lord it over your ass at any given opportunity, which is why you can't hold civil conversations with a Nobel laureate economics. They just are going to hate Bitcoin because it does not serve their purposes.
So if you're ever wondering why these people just don't get it, they probably do get some of it and they view it as a threat. They view Bitcoin as a threat. But either than that, even if Bitcoin wasn't here, you'd say, well, you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be printing money and five economists will laugh you out of the room and make you feel stupid before you are able to say a second sentence. This, in my opinion, is not the way to have a civil conversation about something that affects everybody in the planet, including the PhD economists that are trying to shut your ass up. This, this goes all the way up to Canada. Even though in this particular case, Canada may have the right idea. Canadian regulators say no to algorithmic stablecoins. Gee, I wonder why. Andrew Thorvalis, please tell me from Decrypt.co, the Canadian securities administrators made up of securities regulators from each of the provinces and three territories in Canada have published a long list of new requirements for crypto companies wishing to stay legally compliant and stablecoin platforms are clearly in the agency's crosshairs. Yeah, it's because you're taking it away from them. Crypto asset trading platforms within the country will now be prohibited from allowing customers to buy or deposit stablecoins or other value-referenced crypto assets or VRCAs without the CSA's prior written consent. Obtaining consent means meeting the administrator's many due diligence requirements, including ensuring that the stablecoin is backed by, guess what? Fiat. Quote, for greater certainty, we would not expect to provide consent in respect for of a VRCA that is not fully backed by an appropriate reserve, but rather maintains its value through an algorithm, wrote the regulator in a notice published on Wednesday. Stable coins are, well, we're, we know what a stable coin is. We don't have to get into that. Canadian regulators preferred to use the term VRCA. However, as some so-called stable coins have not been so stable in the past, Last May, Terra, oh God, formerly the third largest stablecoin by market cap, completely, completely lost its peg to the dollar after flaws surrounding its algorithmic peg sent it into an unsalvageable death spiral. <laughs> unsalvageable death spiral, I love it. More traditional fiat-backed stablecoins such as USDT, USDC, and BUSD use fiat-dominated reserves to offer constant convertibility for their tokens and retain a stable price, unless you're BUSD yesterday, in which case you crashed to, crashed to 20 United States pennies for a brief instant. But enough for somebody to probably load up on some bags. Anyway, the CSA requires that trading platforms allow such tokens to be bought or sold only if their reserves are made of high-liquidity assets like cash and cash equivalents, and only if those reserves are held with a qualified custodian, yeah, one of our buddies, they must also be subject to monthly review by independent auditors, which must be made public in a timely manner. Distributions of these tokens must also comply with Canadian securities legislation since, according to the notice, fiat-backed crypto assets generally meet the definition of a security. <laughs> the definition is no less flexible for algorithmic stablecoins, even if one somehow managed to obtain consent. Quote, similar to fiat-backed crypto assets, we would generally consider VRCAs pegged to or backed by assets other than fiat currency to be a security and or a derivative, the notice stated. That would include assets backed by other cryptocurrencies such as wrapped Bitcoin, which I haven't actually heard anybody use the term in a while. While the CSA 
recognizes use cases for stablecoins such as payments and volatility hedging. It also considers them riskier than fiat currency. Well, of course, even those with which the regulator permits crypto platforms to trade. Quote, any consent given should not be viewed as a statement that the VRCA has been distributed in accordance with Canadian securities legislation. It added. Now, down under, well, at least in the United States, a little bit south, the Securities and Exchange Commission issued a Wells notice to Paxos earlier this month alleging that its BUSD stablecoin is an unregistered security, a position contested by many within the industry. Okay. So I don't know, you know, I've probably got some listeners out there that use stablecoins. Hey, if you want to knock yourself out. I mean, I'm, I'm not going get to get into your shit about it. But algorithmic stablecoins, this is not the, no, no. Even Canada, for all the stupid shit that government does, at least they get this. Algorithmic stablecoins are a no-no. But there's so much more that they're lit, that they're, you know, they're telegraphing, you know, messaging in this article that confirms everything that Bitcoiners already know. First of all, is the heavy use by the CSA in these in this notice of the word fiat. You know, 10 years ago, if you'd actually brought up the word fiat to one of your governor friends or somebody in the government or whatever, uh, they would have just thought you were a conspiracy theorist, that you were just trying to demean the United States dollar, the Canadian dollar, the Australian dollar, whatever, whatever fiat currency. They would have said, you're crazy. They would have said, you go wear your tinfoil hat. It's not fiat. Now, that's the only thing that all governments actually refer to the currency as, is fiat. And this trusted custodianship bullshit. Oh, unless we approve the person that's going to hold the assets, which are described in this letter here as being cash or cash equivalents, you're not going to have a stable coin. It's got to be our friend that holds your cash uh, that you gave them so that you can back a stable coin that we will then and only then approve. Who's to say that custodian isn't going to make loans off of that cash on the side? See where, where I'm going? The, the corruption is so, the corruption is entrenched in the world because it's entrenched in our laws. This is regulation. By regulation, you have to give the cash to a custodian. And that custodian has to be approved by who? The government. That means the custodian has control of the money for the stable coin. Uh, see, see how this works? It's like the mafia. We're writing rules that you have to follow, that you have to pay protection money, i.e. income taxes. You have to, you know, I don't know, you can't paint your door blue. Hello, homeowners association. Get the fuck out of the cities. Detach yourself from anything that even remotely smells like a government. It will do you well in the long run. It doesn't mean, and what I mean by that, I don't mean quit your job and stop paying bills and, and, and just hope that they don't knock on your door and arrest your ass because they will eventually. I'm just saying slowly over time, do a couple of things. One, identify where you're attached at the hip. Two, formulate plans to either 
unloosen those ties that you have with society and government and whatever, or be able to detach them altogether without going to jail. And three, if you got the money and you live in a city, get out, get out, get out, go to where it's unincorporated land. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I beg of you not to get mad at me if you're if you're poor as a barn mouse and there's just no way that's going to happen. I understand. I get it. You know, you got to have the job. I get that. I mean, you got that's why I'm saying can you loosen that? Can you start something on the side that will get you enough money that you can do that? Cuz if you can lengthen your time preference, maybe you can live on less money. I don't know. I'm not you. I don't live your life. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. But those three things, figure out where you're connected Two, figure out if you can disconnect and how, and three, get out of the cities if you can. I, if you follow, if you can do even the first one, you'd be a hell of a lot farther along than anybody else in the world. I guarantee goddamn you that. Now, introducing ordinal loops. Oh boy. It's like fruit loops. <laughs> Let's find out what's going on, Bitcoin Magazine. And, uh, oh, the author's name is T, the letter T. Introducing Ordinal Loops, an homage to Bitcoin history built on its latest innovation. Oh, God. Just, you know what? What time is it? We are 70 minutes in. I'm going to save this one. I am. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm totally waffling. I get it but it's longer than this needs to be. And we've already talked about shit coins enough and we're going to talk about 3AC next. So I'm just going to give that one up and maybe do it tomorrow. I don't know. We'll find out. But 3AC liquidators are going to sell the firm's NFTs to realize value amid the bankruptcy. <laughs> Ezra Reguera, Cointelegraph. Non-fungible tokens belonging to the bankrupt hedge fund, Three Arrows Capital, will be sold by its liquidators to NAO, according to a recent announcement. In a notice dated February the 22nd, joint liquidator Christopher Farmer announced that the liquidators intend to begin the sales of the NFTs that belong to 3AC. The announcement highlighted that the sale would be done to realize the value of the NFTs for the purposes of the liquidation. Well, duh. The liquidators clarified within the announcement that it will not include the list of NFTs informally dubbed the Starry Night Portfolio. On October the 5th, 2022, 300 NFTs from 3AC subsidiary Starry Night Capital were moved as part of 3AC's bankruptcy proceedings. The liquidators highlighted that these NFTs are currently subject to an application before the Supreme Court in the British Virgin, Virgin Islands. Jesus. While the notice does not mention which NFTs will be sold, analyst Tom Wan pointed out on Twitter which NFTs could potentially be sold by the liquidators. And according to Wan, the NFTs can include some high-profile pieces. He tweeted, uh, Potential NFTs being sold. 11 punks, 1 BAYC, 2 MAYC, 3 other deeds, 3 autoglyphs, and 8 Peg Z. It sounds like they're not going to get a whole lot for it. In the midst of the 3AC bankruptcy process, community members have repeatedly expressed dissatisfaction on social media over the actions of the 3AC team. 
On January the 3rd, 3AC founder Suzu was called out on Twitter when he accused the Digital Currency Group of conspiring with the FTX exchange to attack Terra. Zhu's efforts to call out DCG and FTX backfired with the community members urging him to focus on his own misdeeds. On February the 10th, crypto community members went after the newly launched exchange backed by 3AC and CoinFlex. Community members were enraged by the launch with some swearing never to trade in the exchange and bully those that do. <laughs> so they're going to try to get rid of these bullshit NFTs to try to recoup some fiat term and get, you know, these people that got lunched by 3AC some kind of satisfaction, that's never coming. I don't think these things are going to sell for all that much. And even if they do, the chances that if you're a creditor of 3AC that you see your money, probably never going to see your money again. Ending the NFT circus with this one, Andrew Hayward, Decrypt.co. NBA top shot NFTs are plausibly securities, judge rules in Dapper Labs lawsuit. <laughs> Telling you, man, read, just Google the Howey test. H-O-W-E-Y, H-O-W-E-Y. There are three tenets to the Howey test. Memorize them and you will never again in your life ever get into a situation where shit like this can happen. Are NBA top shot NFT moments unregistered securities? Well, that's what a lawsuit filed against top shot creator Dapper Labs in 2021 alleges. And the judge apparently agrees. United States District Court Judge Victor Moreo today denied Dapper's request to dismiss the suit, writing that the NFTs offered on Dapper's platform indeed appear to satisfy the requirements of a security. In his ruling, Mario used the Howey test, referring to a landmark United States Supreme Court case, and determined that the NBA Top Shot NFT collectibles platform plausibly meets the stipulations of a security. As a result, the lawsuit against Dapper Labs will move forward. Dapper Labs commented on the ruling in a statement, quote, Importantly, today's order only denied the defendant's motion to dismiss the complaint. It did not conclude the plaintiffs were right, and it did not be, it was not a final ruling on the merits of the case, the spokesperson wrote. Quote, Courts have repeatedly found that consumer goods, including art and collectibles like basketball cards, are not securities under federal law, Dapper's statement continues. We are confident the same holds true for moments and other collectibles, digital or otherwise and look forward to vigorously defending our position in court as the case continues, end quote. The judge's ruling suggests that the plaintiff's arguments are reasonable in part because he describes the Flow blockchain, which powers TopShot and other NFT shit projects and platforms as a, quote, private network, as opposed to a public one, like the Bitcoin blockchain. Dapper Labs would likely disagree with that assertion, however, the company indeed created the Flow blockchain to support NBA Top Shot and other projects, but it's meant to be an open and permissionless network that has increasingly decentralized its pool of node operators. Oh, it's, it's amazing. In late 2021, Dapper representatives asserted that Flow is now controlled by the community. We're going to get back to this later, okay? So we're, I'm going to pull that, the, I'm going to pull this thing the fuck apart. The judge believes that there's sufficient evidence to suggest otherwise. However, and 
further points to Dapper's control over the NBA Top Shot platform itself, along with control over the underlying IP, the intellectual property, by the National Basketball Association and the National Basketball Players Association. The ruling further points to statements by Dapper Labs and CEO Rodman, I can't pronounce the name, regarding the market value of moments and the potential for Top Shot NFTs to maintain and even gain in value over time. It also notes that in early 2021, when NBA Top Shot buckled under the stress of user demand, that NFT holders could not, I repeat, could not access the marketplace and sell their very own assets. However, Moreo is careful to not suggest that his view on NBA Top Shot would not necessarily apply broadly to all NFTs. Quote, ultimately the court's conclusion that what Dapper Labs offered was an investment contract under Howie is narrow. Not all NFTs offered or sold by any company will constitute a security and each scheme must be assessed on a case-by-case basis. Okay, so why am I going to tear this apart? Let's go back up to this. This, Let's go back up to this. And I'm going to set that up and I'm going to bring up Howie Test because we need to. <clears throat> Excuse me for the... Uh, okay. Oh, sorry. Four points, not three. Um, let's do this. Let's go over the Howie Test. Who was Howie? Howie was a guy that had an orange orchard or citrus farm or whatever you want to call it down there in Florida. I don't want to say it was the thirties or the twenties or the thirties or whatever. Anyway, his orange orchard or whatever you call these things was going under. It was losing money. He was going to die, you know, not die, but I mean, the business was going to die. It was, everything was just bad, bad, bad. And he was like, I need to raise money. So how did he, Howie, Mr. Howie, raise the money to keep his operation afloat? He sold rows of orange trees and told people that they would get a profit from those orange trees and that his crew was going to maintain those orange trees and he would set, basically set up all the sales for the oranges and he'd, he would do all the things, right? Because he already sold oranges. He already had the orange trees. It made sense. It honestly made a lot of sense at the time. And this is before there was any such thing called a definition of a security, right? So a lot of people lost their money. (laughs) He essentially stole all their money. The money wasn't really ever used for the orchard. It really wasn't used to bolster the business. Howie just took it, okay? This caused the United States Supreme Court case which is where Howie had to defend himself post-mortem, I believe, because he died before it ever went there, from what I understand. But that case was held. The case was heard, and it was determined that under certain set, a certain set of circumstances, a thing is or is not a security. So what are those things? Okay, one, there's an investment of money. Two, in a common enterprise, Three, with the expectation of profit. And four, that profit to be derived by the efforts of others. Now, if you meet all four of those, and sometimes it's actually put into three. I've, I've seen it as three before. Um, generally speaking, the three-pronged approach sounds like this. An investment of money in a common enterprise. 
And then two is with the expectation of profit. And then three is to be derived from the efforts of others. But it doesn't really matter because let's go over that again. I come to you and I say, I have an investment opportunity for you and you give me $100. That's an investment of money. You gave me the $100 because I said, I got a business to invest in, commonplace enterprise. And I'm, and then I tell you that for your $100, 10 years from now, I'm gonna give you $200, your original investment, the principal, plus some amount of interest that is, that interest, that yield comes from me doing my thing at this business. I'm gonna sell widgets. That's the fourth prong, derived from the efforts of others. You give me 100, I'll give you 200 to invest in my company for 10 years, and we're gonna make that money by doing shit that you have no involvement yourself in. Okay, that's the Howey test. That It's not complicated. It ain't rocket science. You don't have to be a brain surgeon or go to economic PhD school to understand this shit. That's a fucking security. This is a good definition. I'm not even saying, I'm not, I mean, I actually 100% agree with the Howey test. That's a security. It's a security because it need, that's when regulation should have come in to say, whoa, 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 whoa. You better back this money up. You better put it in a bank account or an escrow or something that we can see, make sure that you're not spending it on, I don't know, buying a yacht, right? Mr. Bennett? Yeah, okay, so that, you know, that way the regulators, when they were actually regulating shit and trying to do good for American people would say, as long as you, is your security and you can sell it, but you better put that money over here where it's safe and we can keep an eye on the money as well as your actions to make sure that you're acting in the best interest of the people that gave you the money in the first fucking place, right? Okay, this I don't mind. I really don't. Yes, I, I'm sure that you'll say, well, you're a goddamn status. Okay, fine, but let's get through the argument first. Let's go back to this NBA top shot crap that basically is a security. So these guys, Dapper Labs, we'll just read this paragraph first. Dapper Labs would likely disagree with the assertion, however. The company created Flow Blockchain to support MBA Top Shot and other projects, but it's meant to be an open and permissionless network that has increasingly decentralized its pool of node operators. In late 2021, Dapper Reps asserted that Flow is now controlled by the community. My control of Flow Blockchain does not include what? Making sure the shit works. Do I need to port this? Do I need to do any work on my own to make sure that the code itself is top-notch? Furthermore, where's that code running? Who's running that code on what machine? Who's, provi who's providing the electricity? Who's, who's, who's contracting for the electricity to run this shit? Is, is the community doing that? You know what I'm not doing for Bitcoin right now? I'm not maintaining the code. I am running the code, but nobody has basically come to me and said, I need you to, uh, I need you to start making all the electricity contracts for all of the node operators in the world. And that's all falling on your shoulders and you better make them some money. That's not happening. In this particular case, this, 
This shit's being run on something being maintained by a third party in order to get people value on something they spent money on. What does that sound like? It's the Howie test, man. They passed it with flying colors. They passed it with flying colors. This node operator bullshit, there has been absolutely no evidence ever posited ever that the person that owns the NFT, the Top Shot NFT, is indeed keeping the information in a digital format on their own owned hard drive and serving that to the rest of the community through their own volition. There has never been a statement of that. And I guarantee you that is exactly what is not happening. Now let's go to ordinals. Let's, let's think about ordinals. Let's, let's compare this shit. It's a public blockchain. It's not running on AWS clouds. I've got a copy of the full blockchain right here, three feet away from me on, you know, a one, two terabyte hard drive that's being run by my node BTC. I have every ordinal is right there. I'm pointing, I'm, you, you can't see me, but I'm pointing at my node. It's right there. Every inscription that's ever been done already, plus all of the rare Pepe's, plus the original inscription that was done in the Genesis block by Satoshi himself or herself or themselves or whatever, whatever pronoun you want to use. It's there. It's all there. I'm keeping it. And if you're running a node and you're listening to me, you've got a copy of the same blockchain. Nobody is depending on me going to negotiate contracts with Amazon Web Services so that I can make sure that these inscriptions are available to everybody. Because that's the efforts of a what? Third party. So, and I'm not, this is not to defend inscriptions. I'm just giving a, a completely, this is why inscriptions, in my opinion, do not pass the Howey test. But let's, let's go back to Board Ape Yacht Club. Does it pass the Howie test? You betcha. You betcha. All that shit. It's, they get, people gave somebody else money. They created art and they gave them the art, except they didn't really give them the art, did they? That art, even if it's tacitly understood, you know, the no words are actually spoken. It's just it's just a general agreement that we all have that somewhere on some server, and no, since no general pleb can spin up an Ethereum node, yeah, they say you can, but you try it and you get back to me through Boostagram and tell me how that went. Because no, you're not going to be able to do that shit. Not with that blockchain, not with that size. So immediately you're on AWS, which means somebody's negotiating contracts with Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services is negotiating contracts with electricity companies. That's another third party. And any one of these things can fail. I don't expect Amazon to fail anytime soon, but it could. And that's one of the things that the Howey test is trying to guard against is so many different third parties that the original investment of some dumbass that doesn't understand all the intricacies that goes on in your fucking operation that you're handling for them, quote unquote, the operations of a third party, they don't understand that. And when one of those things fails and it's not even Howie's problem, it's maybe the guy that was, he contracted to make sure that the uh, oranges got harvested. 
that's another third party. And that fails, then Howie's operation fails because nobody came in to harvest the orange and they're all on the ground rotting. So the person that invested the $100 who knows nothing about that chain of events is out their $100. That's the way this shit works. Nobody should have anything to do with NFTs ever. And honestly, even though I use the inscriptions and the ordinals thing as a mirror image to say what the opposite of this shit is, I don't think you should be buying that shit either. But that's just because, dude, really? A fart wave file on the Bitcoin blockchain? Is that really, really what we want to use that space for? And the answer, sadly, is... Apparently for some people, yes. Now, I'm going to end this with this thing about inscriptions. And I saw this the other day and it was a reminder and it was basically a smack in the face about how I was thinking about inscriptions. And it was a meme, of course, you know, and it was like, uh, I think it was the meme with the guy on the left-hand side of the picture, all in orange and yellow, that was like shunning away from something on his uh, left-hand side. And then, the bottom frame, he's like, oh, but this one, yeah. And he's pointing to it going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so this one, the top frame where he's shunning away saying, um, nobody should ever write arbitrary data into the Bitcoin blockchain, period. And then underneath, it shows the header, the image of the header of the Genesis block where Satoshi themselves wrote, Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. I hate to give it to you this way, ladies and gentlemen, but that is arbitrary data written into the very first header of the very first block of the entire Bitcoin blockchain, and it's there forever. I am not suggesting that that means that you turn your head around and say, oh, well, that means inscriptions are great. No, they're not. They're not. All we need to understand is that they're possible and we got to deal with it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. We may think that inscriptions are funny. Not as funny as this. Why couldn't Cleopatra accept Mark Antony's death? She was the queen of denial. <laughs> it's so bad, it made even me cringe. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, what have we learned? As usual, not everything that we think is actually is. And most people don't know what the Howey test is. Most people don't know how money works. Most people don't know anything about the financial realm that honestly governs every aspect of our lives now. It didn't used to, but it does now. Money used to be just something you used. Now it defines everything as to whether you can get a house or a car, or credit cards, and checks, and bank accounts. Just, I mean, it's like we've made everything really complicated. Which brings me to the last thing that, that I suggest that you try to figure out three things. Where are you connected to things you don't want to be connected to? Could be government, but it could also be to the town that you live in. Hell, you may be in a town that you love the government, but for some reason or another, it's just as too much dust, too hot, too cold, whatever. Figure out how you're connected to the thing 
that you don't want to be connected to. Two, try to figure out ways to loosen those bindings or clip them off altogether without going to jail. And three, if you have the ability, get out of the cities. And the bigger city that you're in, the more you should get the fuck out. <laughs> Dallas, get out. Houston, run. I mean, if you're, if you're just going to get out from Dallas, let's look at Houston. Don't walk. Don't run. Become superhuman and pull a flash and book it to the point that you're hitting the sound barrier. Get out that fast. You don't have to go that far either. You really don't. You don't have to end up in, B, in, in BFE, right? You can be on the fringe. If you're going to do that so that you can, there's a reason for that. You get wide open spaces and you're not that far from shopping in Houston. Let's say you go out to Katy, Texas or something like that. You know, that's about 30 miles outside, maybe a little longer. You don't even have to go that far. Just get on that fringe. That way you have access to services if you want. You got wide open spaces, but the problem is annexation from cities. So you could find yourself in a situation where you get annexed and all of a sudden you get a whole, you're right back in the middle of Houston because after a while everything gets built up. Just ask Southwest Lubbock how that worked out for the people that were living out there thinking they were in the country. Not anymore. Okay. So do, you know, do those three things. Identify how you, you know, what, how you're connected to something you don't want to be connected to. Figure out how to get out of it. And if you're in the cities, get the hell out. The larger the city, run faster. Maybe, just maybe, you'll run into me and see me on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.